We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It's Friday, and y'all know what that means. It means it is time for our Friday mailbag. Uh, Ryan is producing today. He's on the back end. He's down there listening. He's pulling up questions. He's starring questions. He's going to make sure y'all behave yourselves in the chat as best we can. I'm just kidding. We're going to have some fun today. We've got a ton of questions already queued up. Ryan's already got 38 questions starred. I've had to unstar a couple because I... Uh, not going to answer a couple of those questions, mainly from Tommy Guns. My man will chat later, and I'll tell you the answers to those questions, but I'm not going to answer those publicly. I want to remind people a couple of things before we get started. As Nathan Milton just said, folks, smash that like button. Hit, make sure you're subscribed to this channel. You've hit the notification bell, all that good stuff. If you haven't done so already, sign up for the message boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com. You're definitely going to check out what we're doing there and at irishbreakdown.com, our main site. Here's another thing I need you all to do. If you are someone who loves what Irish Breakdown is doing, but you also love what Lucky Lefty's doing, and you're listening to our stuff on our podcast app. So obviously, you, Lucky's got their their YouTube channel. You're already subscribed to that. But if you like what they're doing content-wise from a from a podcast standpoint, and you listen to them on the podcast, I need you to sign up to, to subscribe specifically to the CFB Nation channel. Now, right now, you can listen to it on the Irish Breakdown podcast feed. Over the next couple months, we're going to transition to get that off of the Irish Breakdown feed and get back to having the Irish Breakdown stuff on the Irish Breakdown channel. And then Lucky Lefty will be exclusive to CFB Nation. I just want to explain why we're doing that. Sean's going to talk about that on his show. We're doing that here. That was always the plan. But what we wanted to do when we brought Lucky Lefty over was really promote their show on, you know, to really help it grow on the podcast side. Obviously, they're doing great work to, to grow on the YouTube side, but we wanted to promote the podcast side. Since CFB Nation was such a new channel, if we just had Lucky Lefty only be on there, then it would take a lot longer for them to grow their audience. I had a great meeting today with Blue Wire. The numbers for Lucky Lefty are really doing well. The number for CFB All America on the CFB Nation channel is doing really well, much better than most imported shows do. So we think it's time to start transitioning over to CFB Nation as a standalone. 
and not import them onto the Irish Breakdown feed. The ultimate goal is, and the reason this is important, is because there's always going to be a peak on how much, how many downloads and how much money they can make uh, when they're imported onto our channel. This is going to be the ultimate goal of getting them over there and lifting up them so they can get, grow more and more and more and really have that unique, different brand because they're very different than us. And that's part of the reason we brought them on is because they do spin it different. They do things different ways. Sean is, is people say, well, you know, Sean's different on your show because our shows are so much different. And so you have to approach it a different way. And so love what they do. That's going to start being exclusive. So by the time we get to the fall, they're going to be exclusive to CFP Nation. You won't be able to find them on the Irish Breakdown feed. They're still going to be part of our family because CFP Nation is a part of the Irish Breakdown family, a part of the Irish Breakdown uh, community. It's owned by Driscoll Publishing and all that kind of stuff. So definitely going to want to make sure that you do that. I just want to explain to people why we're doing that before we get started. So if you're listening via podcast, you're going to definitely want to subscribe to the CFB Nation podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With that being said, it's time to dive into the mailbag. And we're going to we're going to dive into this. There's a lot of fun questions. I just want to say right now, I want to get this out to John Mayernich right away because he keeps asking me this question. Man, I haven't played Zelda in like 30 years. I used to love Zelda, but I can't remember for the life of me what my favorite weapon was. So, I know you keep asking this, but I don't know. So, that's how we're going to kick off today's show is with an I don't know about the Legend of Zelda. So I just wanted to get that out of the way because you keep asking that and let you know, man, I can't remember at all. I'm 44 years old. I'll be 45 next month. I have no clue what I, I mean, that, that I, there's some games I remember. That's not one. I still remember the the code for Contra. Remember that, that, that like unlimited lives, like 999 lives thing that you get for Contra. I still remember that, but most of that stuff I don't remember. So I, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I, I don't remember what the, my favorite weapon was. Um, or favorite dungeon was in Zelda. So let's let's get rocking and rolling with some football questions. 
Nathan Milton's going to get us started off with is the talent pool lower in the transfer portal versus the 22 season? If so, do you think the t- portal talent will continue to decline? I can't say for sure. I, I, I mean, was there a was there a Caleb Williams available in the portal? Maybe not, but I mean, Sam Hartman's got a chance to do some 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 statistically some really excellent things in Notre Dame this year. We'll, we'll kind of see how that goes. But I, there may not be some of the splashy names like Jordan Addison and Caleb Williams, but there's a lot of really good players in the portal, top to bottom. How does that compare to last year? I don't know. But I'll say this. Is it going to continue to decline? The only way it continues to decline is if they change the rules. If they change the rules and make the rules what they should be, what I think they should be, then that's how the numbers will decline. But I don't think it's going to decline. It's just going to be like with anything else. It's cyclical. It's like the NFL draft, right? I've been following the draft for a long time. Ryan covers it professionally. The reality is this, not every draft is the same. The, the quality of what's available in the draft varies from year to year. Some years it's a great draft overall. Some years, it, you know, hit or miss, but man, it's great at this position or that position. Uh, sometimes it's just not really good at most positions. It's cyclical, and that's just going to be the same thing with recruiting. We've talked before about how you know the 24 class is pretty good, but I don't think it's as good as you know maybe the 23 class was or maybe the 25 class might be. No reason for it. It's just it's the way it goes sometimes. It's very cyclical, and it's going to be up and down. It's going to change from year to year, and I don't think the portal, until the rules change, I don't think the portal is going to be any different. Got a question from John A. One. If Harry Heastand is the O-line coach for 2018, is Brandon Wimbush the starter for the season? I don't think so. No, I, I don't I don't think so. I, I think Brandon's confidence was shot late in 2017, and I don't think he ever recovered. I, I think the Brandon Wimbush that we saw early in 2018, it was just not the same kid. And and part of that was coaching. They were also trying to, I think, force Brandon into a little bit of a box that I don't think made his game well. If you look at how they used Brandon against Michigan and then how they tried to use him against Ball State and Vanderbilt, it was the same thing. They were trying to turn him into a pocket passer, and that's just not who he was. And I think that limited his ability, but I also think his confidence was shot, and it started happening under Mike Sanford, and and I think it continued as he went on. So what I think would have happened is he still he still would have been benched. I think what would have happened is this Notre Dame would have been a more con, a more balanced offense, and they weren't bad running the football in 2018. They had some good moments. But I think they would have been even better running the football, which would have made them a better team. Look, I'm not the biggest team book fan in the world. Everybody knows that. But the one thing I've said many, many times is 2018 was Ian Book at his best during the regular season. And I think a, a better run game – a more consistent run game that season would have made him even better that season. I don't know if it would have had an impact moving forward if Herrick, Coach Eastan would have left again, but I think all that Coach Eastan would have done was made the running game more more effective, and I, I don't think it would have done a whole lot else regarding the quarterback position. I, I, I don't think we've seen much change. T-Guns, Crocs and Glocks. Tommy asks, if you could bring back one pl- if you could bring one player back who would who should have been great, but was actually hampered by injury, who would it be? That's a good question. If I could bring one player back who's who was hampered by injury. Hmm. I have to think about that one for a second. 
but a uh, player's career was hampered by injury. I mean, the first guy that kind of pops in my head is Javon McKinley, but I don't know if I'd bring him back because I think they're still pretty good at wide receiver. But I, I'm curious what John, Javon McKinley's career could have looked like if he didn't have the injuries he had. I'm curious. Uh, somebody just said a good one in the chat, Malik Zaire. I don't, again, I don't know if I'd bring Malik back because I don't know if Malik's style of play would fit as well with what this team is trying to be. But, you know, let's say I could put him on a different team. If I could have put Malik Zaire on like the 2017 roster or the 2018 roster, that'd have been pretty fun to watch. That'd have been pretty fun. Here's another one that somebody said in the chat that that's a really good one. Jarrett Grace. That's a great one. Quinn, Kliber, Quinn, uh, Quinn Kibler brought, said that one. I think Jarrett Grace would have been a big one. I, I've said this before. I think Jarrett Grace's career got completely derailed by the, the the leg injury he had. It was bad leg injury. He was a kid that I thought, I think it was, it was a redshirt freshman, I think is when it was. He had like 40-some tackles. He really flashed. He was like 6'3 plus. He was like 240. He was athletic. He was smooth. He was physical. If you'd have had a healthy Jarrett Grace starting for Notre Dame in 2015, that team would have looked so much different, so much different. Because you'd have had a – it had been the best one-two punch up the middle that Notre Dame had in a long time. Because obviously Jalen was great. But uh, that's a good one, Quinn. I like that one. I really like that one. Nathan Milt with another one says, what players do you suspect would have been breakout players under Freeman? Um, I, I'm not quite sure I – would have been breakout players under Freeman. Some vice V BK. I think that's a wrong word. I don't know what the, um, yeah, I don't know what he's asking there, Ryan. So Nathan, if you can re restate that question where I make, where it makes a little bit where I can understand it. Cause I don't, it's probably me, but I just don't understand it. So let's, let's move on to the next one. John a one says in an offense that uses 11 personnel as its base and uses one type of receiver, what would you choose? Six three plus possession receivers, under six foot speed receivers, or three mid size smooth route runners. So what you're saying, John, is if I could if I could have a, a an eleven personnel receiving core and I can only use one type of receiver, which one would I go with? Well, there's so many caveats that could go into that, and I and I won't get into too many of them. But I'll say this: the the caveat is basically, well, what what do you have around it? What kind of quarterback do you have? What kind of run game do you have? And so I'll use Notre Dame's specifics to answer your question. And with the way that Notre Dame plays the game, with the way they run the football, with who they have a quarterback and Sam Hartman, a guy that likes to throw the ball down the field, a guy that's accurate, but not, he's not Mac Jones. He's not Jimmy Clausen from an accuracy standpoint. Then I'm going with the bigger guys. I think that fits the quarterback. Well, I think if you start Tyler Buckner quarterback, it fits the quarterback position. Well, uh, I think when you when you look at Tyler, give me some big receivers that can block on the perimeter. Uh, give me some receivers that can catch some one on ones, can can stretch the field, and that and that that would be kind of where I would go with that one, which is kind of the possession guys because I I think they can they can be effective. So to me, I'd either go the way I'd rank them is with the current personnel around it. I'd go th- uh, the three possession receivers one, the big guys one. The mid-sized smooth guys next, and then under six-foot receivers, who I assume we're going to uh, say are really fast. There's really no wrong answer, but I think it's about m- meshing them correctly with the current group that you have. And I think with the way that Notre Dame runs the football, with who they have at quarterback, whether it's Buckner or Hartman, 
I think that's the, the best way to go with those position groups. Quinn Kibler asks, I find the 2014 season one of the strangest of how things unfolded in the end. What other teams have you guys found ended up having an odd year 2016 excluded? You know, if you look at different eras, I, I think if you look at the Brian Kelly, I think last year for Notre Dame was very odd. Like, How do you play Ohio State down to the wire? How do you absolutely blast, absolutely blast North, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Clemson, smash North Carolina, beat BYU convincingly, and then lose to Stanford? Like last year was very odd how the season played out with all the injuries. 2014 obviously is one. I thought 2011 was a really weird year. A very, very uh, strange year. You talk about the way that they lost South Florida. Because you, you you're, you're saying strange how they unfold. You have the loss of South Florida where you've got your starting quarterback bench. You have like this multi-hour long break at halftime because of the weather. You come back. It just was such a weird game. I mean, even the way it started, you drive right down the field. You get the ball inside the five. You're running back fumbles. They run it back 90-some yards. You play at Michigan the next week. You've got a 24-7 halftime lead, and you blow it in the fourth quarter. Your quarterback's dropping back to throw a fade pass to Michael Floyd, probably goes for touchdown, ball game over, and he just drops it. And then the way that they hit him with that wheel route at the end, that was really weird. The USC game was, I mean, talk about strange. Notre Dame falls behind early because they're just playing bad. I mean, first drive, Matt Barkley, who was very immobile, pump fakes, Carlo Calabrese jumps for no reason whatsoever. Matt Barkley gets around him. They go down and score. They're outplaying Notre Dame. George Atkinson has a, a kick return to that game, which was huge. And then Notre Dame is down 24-17. They've got all the momentum back. They're driving down the field. They get down to like the two-yard line, and they go under center, and the ball goes right through Dane Chris' hands and legs, goes into the backfield. USC picks it up, runs it back 90-some yards for a touchdown, and instead of tying the game 24-24 and then taking momentum and probably winning the game because Notre Dame was completely outplaying USC at that point, you lose by two touchdowns. I mean, that whole season was flipping weird. You know, the Stanford loss was normal. They were a better team. But then you go to the bowl game and you're completely dominating Florida State in the first half and then just completely change your game plan up in the second half. And they had like four freshmen starting on the offensive line. You're destroying them in the first half. They didn't really change a lot. Notre Dame just backed off their their attack and allowed them to come back. It was such a weird year. That was probably a weirder year than 2014 to me. You talk about who and, and, and like 2014, like here's the thing. 2014 was going pretty good until a bunch of injuries set in. You know, Drew Tranquil gets hurt. Sheldon Day's banged up late in the year. Jerron Jones gets banged up late in the year. You had, uh, I mean, just so many. I mean, I, that was the year. No, did Sean Crawford get hurt that year? Did he play that year? I forget which one. But you had so many weird injuries late in the year. You had Lyman getting hurt. All of a sudden, you're you're going from having a starting defensive line of a bunch of future NFL guys. You're having Jacob Matuska playing a ton bunch of snaps and a bunch of the freshmen playing a bunch of snaps against USC, and you get blown out. You know, so the same team that took Florida State down to the wire and looked great early in the year can't beat Northwestern and Louisville at home. But you can point to a bunch of injuries on that team. The 2011 season doesn't make any sense. I mean, you had think about who you had on that team, y'all. You had 
Yeah, Sierra Wood, Jonas Gray. Jonas doesn't get hurt till late in the year. He gets hurt against BC, so he was there all year. He was he was playing for him. You had Michael Floyd at receiver. You had Tyler Eifert at tight end. You had Theo Riddick and TJ Jones at wide receiver. You had Sierra Wood at running back. Defensively, you had Manti on that team. You had Harrison Smith on that team, Robert Blanton on that team, Darius Fleming on that team. I mean, that team was on top of Lewis Nix and Aaron Lynch and and Cap. And I mean, you had so many future NFL players on that team. You went eight and five with that team. It was the weird that year to me was more weird than 2014. 2014 was a bad year, but it's not it wasn't strange. It was Brian McGorder stinks, and teams eventually figured him out. And they had a mess of injuries. I mean, that's really what it came down to for me. It wasn't strange. It was just bad. 2016 wasn't strange. It was just bad. 2011 was strange. Just the way they lost games was just like, what is what is going on here? It is the strangest year I've ever been a part of covering Notre Dame. Okay, was there a player who had a bad career under BK who might have had a great career under Marcus Freeman? Well, I'll say this. Like, there are – I mean, you could go any big-time defensive player. And I don't want to blame this directly on Kelly. It's Kelly's fault because he hired the coach and kept the coach, right? And that's that's the job of a head coach. But pick any really good defensive player under Brian Van Gorder and insert them to now. And I've said this before. If Jalen Smith plays for Mike Elko, Clark Lee, or Marcus Freeman, he's one of the most productive linebackers ever to play the game. I mean, there's just no question in my mind. But he was completely wasted under Brian Van Gorder. So you could say the same thing about Sheldon Day. You could say the same thing about Kavari. Kavari Russell playing in this this defense right now would be pretty good. I think Cole Luke's one. Cole Luke just continued to get worse and worse every year. And I think a big part of that was Brian Van Gorder. Now he's another one. I think Max Redfield's one. And you put Max Redfield in a different defense. I think Marcus Freeman would have had a – um, he would have been able to connect better with Max and and kind of rein Max in a little bit and get Max focused on on things. I mean, Max was a really smart kid, and he just didn't always make the best decisions. I think I, I think Coach Freeman would have related with him a little bit better in that regard and would have helped him make some better decisions. So yeah, pick any defensive player in 2014. I don't I don't know if there's any offensive guys because. I, I just don't think that there's any any necessarily huge change right now when it comes to the coaching style where, oh gosh, this would have been so much better. But like Phil Dracovic, I don't I don't know if Phil Dracovic would have been any different un, under the current regime. I mean, he still would have coached under Tommy Reese, the same guy that he coached under before. So I don't know if that would have turned out any different. I think the defensive side of the ball is where we would have seen to me a lot of a lot of differences. John A1 says, Ben Minich is reportedly having an impactful spring so far. What would you project to be his freshman year ceiling? What's the reasonable expectation this year for Ben? So I, I want to – this is going to – I'm trying to figure out the right way to do this because I, I'm not doing this in any way to disparage uh, Ben Minich because, I, I, again, I graded Ben as a four-star recruit. But I think we need to pump the brakes on, on hyping players up because of what's said about them in press conferences when we don't see it. Uh, yes, I get where it's coming from. The buzz is coming from things that that um, Chris O'Leary has said, things DJ Brown has said, but they need to say those things because they need Ben to play right now because they don't have anybody else. That's not meant to be disrespectful to Ben Minich. I just know when I saw him, I have questions about if he's physically ready to play right now, as which is the case with, with some of the other freshmen. 
he still didn't look as certain with what he was doing. Now, I highly doubt that in two practices since then, all of a sudden he's gone from that to light the world on fire. I think what this is is smart coaching by Chris O'Leary and smart leadership by TJ Brown saying, hey, look, we need this kid. Let's build this kid up. And we see some things from him in drills and things where he's maybe not having to think as much where he looks pretty good. So let's let's really push this kid and give him give him some confidence and really push him up. So um, my ceiling for him is is not going to change because of comments made in a press conference. And I would encourage all of you to take that same stance. Like when we see it on the field, sure, that's great. And so far in spring, I haven't, you know, in the, in, in the limited amount I've seen, I haven't seen anything to make me think otherwise. That doesn't mean it's not happening. It could very well be happening. My point is simply that we should never base our opinions off of what coaches say at press conferences. That's, that's again, not an insult. It's just one of those things where you say that's not a great gauge. And we have a long history of coaches saying things like this, and it's not exactly how it pans out. So I, I would encourage you all not to get to read too much into that. I think what I would say is uh, we've said this all along. Ben, Ben's going to have a chance to play. If they don't make a change, they're going to need, he's going to have to play. They literally don't have anybody else after DJ Brown at safety. If Ben Minch doesn't play it's unless you're going to put walk-ons on the field and look like Isaiah Dunn, he's done some nice things this spring. I've seen him make plays. I hope that they are able to find another answer and then Ben can redshirt. I, I, I really do. I think Ben Minich is a five-year player. I think he can, him and a Don Schuler can be five-year players. Most skilled players aren't that way. At the same time, there's a chance. Um, there's a chance that, that there's a chance that he could just be too important on special teams, not to redshirt. I mean, I could see that from Ben Minich. I've said this before. Ben Minich is going to be a special teams captain someday. That doesn't mean he's not going to be a defensive captain too. He's just going to be a really good special teams player in his career. At the that's the floor for Ben Minich. The ceiling is he becomes an impactful like three year starter type of guy. I think Ben Minich could be that kind of guy. I'm just not jumping uh, into the whole the whole let's jump on the the bandwagon because of a comment made at a press conference. That's all I'm saying about him. Other than that, you know. I, I I'll say this. I hope I hope what they're saying turns out to be true, because if Ben Minich is like is li- literally ready to be a, a a difference maker and impact player as a freshman, that goes a long way towards solidifying the safety depth chart. It really does. It would be very helpful if that was true. I'm just not ready to to jump on that bandwagon simply because of what was said at a press conference. If we just seen him like just lighting the world on fire practice, sure, let's do it. Let's roll. Let's jump on that bandwagon. But I need to see it. And, and the things that I've heard from sources are that they love his upside and his potential. But just right now, he's like a lot of the freshmen. He's swimming right now. And maybe that light goes on in the fall. But I think that this is more just pumping a kid up who needs a who needs a, a boost of encouragement from a coach and a veteran. And I think they're both doing the right thing. I, I have no beef with what they're saying. I, I love that they're saying it. I, I think they need to encourage him because they may they may need him. Because even if you lose Clarence, even if you move Clarence Lewis, you're still one injury away from needing Ben Minich to play, and so it's important. It's important, and, and so so John Climack, who I'm great to see you in the chat again, man. I haven't seen you in a while. So John Climack says, so I shouldn't get my Ben uh, Popeye 
the spaminage tattoo just yet. Yeah, I would encourage you not to do that. Not, I would encourage you never to do that, John. I don't care if he ends up being a first-round draft pick, uh, but uh, if you're dead set on it, I would definitely maybe wait a year before I jump onto that bandwagon. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. T-Guns, Crocs, and Glocks says, do you, got, do you think Notre Dame's trajectory would have been any different if they had won the Bush Push game? I don't. I, I don't think so. I think that might have, I mean, that would have allowed them to maybe play in a better game. I think Notre Dame has a good chance of playing Texas in the national title game. I just don't see that defense stopping Vince Young. I, I just don't. And as much as I love that offense, I don't know if they could have scored enough to beat, to beat Texas. I, I really don't. So maybe they'd have played for a title. And, you know, maybe they would have had a competitive game that doesn't change. I mean, they were preseason, I think what, like number one on sports illustrated. I think that next year sporting news, one of them had a preseason number one. Uh, They still would have been the same team in 2006 and Charlie would have had the same problems as a coach that he, that he would have had otherwise. Cause here's the thing, like the way that I would say it would, it would change the trajectory of, of it is like, let's just say hypothetically that Notre Dame beat Alabama in 2012 that would have changed Notre Dame's trajectory because it would have given Brian Kelly a little bit more validity, but it would have allowed them to recruit better in spite of their coach. Because if you go out and win a title and you beat Bama doing so, maybe the Bama dynasty doesn't become what it becomes. Who knows? But I think it would have given Notre Dame a big recruiting boost. Charlie didn't need a recruiting boost. I mean, they they recruited an elite level the next couple of years. And, and so I don't know if it would have helped recruiting all that much. He still would have made poor assistant coaching decisions. And I think those, and he, and he still had a very flawed uh, philosophy as a head coach. He still had a very scheme driven head football coach mentality. And they didn't teach kids how to line up and how to step properly and line up properly and tackle and block and run routes the right way. They still were a scheme driven team that their kids didn't know how to play the game. And I don't think that changes if they beat USC. I really don't. I think the only thing that would have changed was that team would have been considered better. I think they would have played. And I think they would have given Texas a game because I think that team could score on Texas. I just don't think they could could have scored enough to win. And, and I don't think they would have forced Texas to go on a game winner at the end like they did. I think they probably win by like a touchdown in a game that's very back and forth the whole game. But Texas was the better team. And, and it comes down to it. Texas had a better defense. And didn't maybe didn't look like it against USC, but yeah, like I think like eight NFL guys on that team that next year uh, on that defense, next couple of years off that defense, and Michael Huff and some guys like that. So I just 
I don't think it would have changed the Rams' trajectory. I think it would have changed the, the how that season was perceived, but I don't think it changes the, the track. Now, if Notre Dame uh, went, let's just say hypothetically they played Texas and somehow beat Texas, I still don't think it changes the trajectory of Notre Dame. If anything, it might actually hurt it. To be completely honest with you, like this is going to sound weird now, and I would, I would, I would take this trade. I would because uh, winning a title is worth it to me. But let's just say they won a title that year. I think. Well, there's two ways to look at it. Now, some second thought top pops in my head. Number one is Charlie's still going to make the same mistakes that he made, and he's still going to have the flawed process as a coach that he had. But if he wins a title, you're not getting rid of him in 2000. I mean, it'd be so much harder to get rid of him in 2009 at Notre Dame if he wins a title. Where then maybe you miss your Brian Kelly window. Maybe you do. Does that mean you get somebody better? Does that mean you get somebody worse? I, I don't know the answers to that. So I think that would have changed Notre Dame's trajectory a lot. Maybe for the worse, maybe for the better. Uh, I, I really don't know. The other thought of that is, is what if Charlie does that and all of a sudden Charlie ends up getting back to the NFL in a couple of years? So after 06, some NFL team offers Charlie a ton of money and he leaves. How does that change their trajectory? That's another interesting question. So I think the only thing that would have changed it is if they would have gone and beaten Texas. And I just don't think they would have. I don't think they would have beaten Texas. I really don't. Johnny one says Ryan's game of Thrones entrance, uh, Ryan Roberts, first of his name, ruler of draft analysis, recruiting analysts of America and background producer of Friday mailbags. Okay. I dig that. I can dig that. All right. What do, what do we got next here? We got call me Ty says one of, he has a two parter looks like says Notre Dame has played these home and home games with teams like Michigan, Oklahoma, Texas, Michigan state, Northwestern, Miami, Georgia, and Ohio state, and never swept the series. Part two says, "What series would you have been the most? What series would have been the most impactful, other than the other than the Georgia, because that one would have been obvious and they didn't even and win one of those games." Well, I think the one that would have been most impactful would be Ohio. Would have been Ohio State to me. Um, I they didn't have a home and home with Miami. That was just part of the ACC schedule, and they'll have more series with them. It, it they had, I think, in a, in a stretch of a few years, they had like a. Uh, so you had sit, you had them at home in sixteen and on the road in seventeen. It wasn't a traditional home and home, so uh, that's a little bit different. But to me, it's Ohio State. If you'd have beat Ohio State in Columbus last year and beat them again this year, I mean, you now become the Midwest power, in my opinion. You just you just do. I I don't care what happened the rest of the year. And, and if you beat them last year and then beat them again this year, look what look what that has done to perception of Michigan. And and I would argue that Notre Dame is a better brand than Michigan. I know it's going to cause Michigan fans to lose their minds, but I think Notre Dame is a better brand than Michigan because Notre Dame has been better for longer in in recent history. And I think that Notre Dame has a more likable coach than Michigan does. But look at how people are perceiving Michigan right now after beating Ohio State two years in a row. If Notre Dame does that, that that changes things dramatically. So you know, you took Georgia out of the equation. That obviously would have been big, but I think. I think Ohio State would be the next one. I don't. I don't think Oklahoma does change as much. I don't think Michigan changes much. I, you know, Texas again. Texas isn't very good. I don't think that changes much for either team. Michigan State, Northwestern don't care about that one. Miami, Georgia, we talked about. So yeah, of those, the top three is is Georgia, 
I mean, excuse me, Ohio State still won no matter what to me because it's the regional power thing. It's Ohio State, it's Georgia, it's in of, of this group, it's Michigan, then it's Texas, and then Oklahoma would be how I'd rank those those top five when talking about you know like which one would have would have changed the which one would have had a, the biggest impact. I think it's that's the order I would I would go in. Yeah, see, I knew him. I knew I, Antoine, my Michigan guy, says, "Are you dreaming again, Brian? Wake up!" See, I, I told you. I told you Michigan fans won't agree, but that's just that's just the reality of it, in my opinion. Indy estimate trucking LLC says, in your opinion, who had the best skill set ability coming out of high school? Torrey Hunter Jr., DeVaris Daniels, Rico Flores Jr., Chris Brown, Lorenzo Styles, or Rayma McKnight. That's a good one. Of that order, I would go DeVaris Daniels one. I thought if DeVars had a better attitude, I think, the, and, and not gotten in trouble, I think I think DeVars is on the verge of becoming a star uh, at Notre Dame. I really do. I mean, if you look at kind of what he had done the year before, uh, he was the number two to TJ Jones. He had 49 catches, 745 yards, seven touchdowns as a number two. He had had a really good game in, against um, Alabama the year before in the title game. <clears throat> he showed that he could be a really good player. And then if you'd have put DeVaris on a team with Everett Golson the next year, because DeVaris was a pretty good deep ball guy, even though he wasn't a burner, he was a good route runner and he could get, he could get open deep. Him and Everett would have been a really fun combination in 2014. You saw what they did in 20 in 2012 when Everett was a redshirt freshman, you know, DeVaris was a really good player. And then by the end of the year, you, you look at what him and DeVaris were doing at the end of the year. I mean, think about the pit game, some of the big plays he made in the pit game. He gets hurt gets hurt against BC, misses the next two games, comes back for the championship game, has six catches for 115 yards. Last two full games together with Everett and 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 DeVaris, he had seven catches for 86 against Pitt, six catches for 115 against Alabama. I think he would have been really dynamic in 2014. So I'm going to go with DeVaris number one, uh, and I loved him coming out. So I'm going DeVaris number one. I'm going to go with coming out of high school. I'd probably go with Rayma number two because I think Rayma was really good before the knee injury. He was a different player post knee injury than he was pre knee injury. If you remember, he he was a guy that could do stuff after the catch early in his career. I still remember a nice little tunnel. I think it was I think it was BYU had a little tunnel screen that he took for a touchdown. So Rayma number two, I'd go probably Lorenzo Styles three, Torrey Hunter four, Rico Flores Jr. five, and then Chris Brown six is how I would rank those six. That's that's how I'd go with it. Which previous Notre Dame players have done the most to support the program since leaving? I mean this it's really unfair for me to for me to say that because I don't know what everyone has done. So I won't say which ones have done the most because I think that is is disrespectful to players who maybe are doing things behind the scenes that I don't see. But of what I can see, of what I know publicly, obviously Brady Quinn has done a lot for the program. That's the first one that stands out, this fun collective, and just promoting him just in all the different things he does. You've got uh, Pat Eilers has has um, donated. He came back to help the team coach he was making a lot of money, came back to help the team coach. He has, let's see, I think it's the secondary coach that he has basically, uh, he's the, the, it's named after him because he's given a lot of money. He doesn't do a lot of things, you know, where maybe we're seeing him publicly like Brady Quinn, but financially he's doing a lot to support the program. Jerome Bettis has done a lot to support the program. Tim Brown is a very vocal supporter of Notre Dame uh, as an institution. 
there's some other players that like uh, I think Byron Spruill has done some things in the background. He's a guy that's done a lot of things, if I remember correctly. I'm trying to think of some other guys that have, have been very, very vocal supporters of the program over the years uh, that that have, have really had a big impact. But those are the guys that kind of off the top of my head uh, jump out at me. I, I've heard that Tom Carter's trying to do some is trying to get into some things to, to, to support the program. I'd love to see something like that. So I, I mean, we, if if I sat down and thought about it, there. Oh, Reggie Brooks came back and worked at Notre Dame. He he worked for different aspects to help promote Notre Dame. So Reggie's done a lot for the institution. He's now doing things with with Coach Holtz uh, on the background. Uh, so uh, Reggie'd be another one that I would say I think has done a lot, a lot for Notre Dame. And, and there's so many others. And I don't mean any disrespect to those guys that are doing that. It's just I don't see it. I don't hear about it as much. There's former players that give that are really do, did well financially that have given a lot of money to the school to help support the school. So uh, those are, those are guys that I would, that I, but those, but I don't know about all those. And, and I don't know some of the ones I do know. I'm not sure if that's something that they would want made public, but those are the guys that I think are publicly, I think we can talk about and say, these guys are doing a lot, doing a lot for the school. We got, we got a super chat there from Jim DeMatteis. Jim, thank you very, very much. Haven't seen you in the chat for a while either. Glad to see you back. Thank you for the super chat. I appreciate that very, very much. Let's get to something next here. We got from Cookie. Cookie says, so everyone has digs and estimates slated as RB's 1A and 1B. What are the odds for Jadarian Price, Jeremiah Love, or Jabron Payne to become a clear number one this season? Personally, I want to use all of them. I, I think the only way that one of those three guys can become number one especially the clear number one is if there's a lot of injuries. And that's not to say that those guys aren't absolutely exceptional talents. I would argue that the the guy with the most, I'd be curious what Ryan thinks about this. You can kind of give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down when I make this statement, Ryan. But I would argue that just on God given ability, take out experience, take out technical, uh, uh, you know, ability where he is mentally known the offense, just God given ability. The most talented running back on the roster this year is going to be Jeremiah Love. Uh, Ryan agrees, just physically talented. But I, I don't. But that. But being physically talented doesn't make him a better running back right now than Audric Estime, who is three years, you know, two three years older, knows the offense, is physically stronger, is just ready to be more effective right now. And so, you know, same thing with Logan Diggs. I I, I see those guys all battling to get playing time on special teams. I see them all battling to get some snaps late in the games. I see them battling to become that, that number three back because there will be a number three back, but those guys becoming like the guy this season. I think that's going to require legit injuries to happen. I, uh, I just don't, uh, other than that, I just don't see, I don't see that being something that can happen this year without barring injury. There's just, the, the older guys are just too good to be honest with you. I just, they're just too good. We've got John A1 with another question. When is the last time you witnessed kids playing neighborhood football? Growing up, I remember this being a daily thing for me and my friends, making up rules, sideline pop, et cetera. That's a good question, John. I can't tell you the last time I saw. I, John, I rarely see kids playing, period. We have we live in a pretty decent-sized neighborhood, and I know for a fact there's a lot of kids because every Halloween there's a mess of kids in our neighborhood. We the where Ange and I live, we live out in Granger, and and where we live, there is like literally you can look out our front porch and there's a street, and then our our across the street neighbor, and then behind our across the street neighbor is a park. 
And in that park is like a swing set and it's like, a, there's like a soccer net, there's a tennis court, there's basketball hoops. And I've rarely see kids over there. Rarely. You'll see some kids on the swing, but it's like a couple little kids. It's, it's just hardly ever over there. I just, I don't think kids play outside as much anymore, at least in my neighborhood. Uh, so I'd have to say the last time I saw kids playing neighborhood football is probably my nephew being back in Virginia with my nephew. And that's more of just kind of with, with family. So um yeah i that's a it's a good question but i i it doesn't happen it's sad i don't think it's a good thing but yeah i just don't think it happens i I don't see it a whole lot it's interesting question interesting question Notre Dame 2164. Dude, I think someone hacked my YouTube account. That cookie person was me you know i thought that picture looked familiar but i don't yeah that's kind of strange I don't know. Like, did somebody like steal your picture? And, and, uh, that's wild, man. That's why did they change your account name or so did your wife do that as a joke to you? Did your, did, does your daughter do that? Somebody's messing with you, dude. So yeah, but if somebody hacked your account, they most likely would have changed your password and you wouldn't be able to log in. I think somebody in your family's messing with you to find out who that is. My friend, there's no doubt. <clears throat> 